Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up to that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who are waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. The word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. All right, good morning, everyone. Oh, thank you. It's nice to hear a response. All right, so um, let's pray together real quick. Father God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for sunshine. Thank you for hope. Um, Most of all, I pray that whatever words you have me speak today, whatever's mine would just fall to the ground, and that whatever you want your people to hear today, I pray that that's what would get through. And I thank you so much for your love and your faithfulness in this time. Amen. Good morning. So, Christmas time. It's a time that's super hopeful, a wonderful story. It's the arrival of the Savior. But something I think we forget is that all throughout this story that we find so hopeful, there's a lot of loss. And it's the kind of loss that people feel when your life doesn't work out the way you expected it to. So think about Mary, for example. Mary was engaged, had a fiancé, everything was great. Suddenly she gets pregnant and has to explain to everyone that actually I'm pregnant with the Son of God. As Reed mentioned last week, she would have totally lost her reputation as a good, upright woman. Think about Joseph. Again, engaged, everything's fine, and suddenly he's a stepfather, which he wasn't expecting. And not only that, he eventually has to take his family and move them to Egypt to protect this child that's not even his. And Anna, who we meet in Luke, her life didn't turn out the way it was supposed to either. When we meet her, um, Joseph and Mary have actually just brought Jesus to the temple for presentation. And that's when she, she sees him. But as the scripture says, she was a widow, a widow for a really long time. Her life didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. So what do you do when your life doesn't turn out? Where do you run when, when you aren't getting what you thought you would be getting by now? What are you grieving for right now? Or what are you expecting? Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you're waiting for a place where you can feel at home, someplace you can feel settled. Um, So I have a couple of college friends that I still communicate with quite a bit. And one of them sent us an email recently that um, struck me as pretty funny. So in college, we had all of these plans, right? My plan was to get a PhD, probably be a professor, be super smart and famous. Um, Yeah, well. Uh, (laughs) I'm still working on it. Um, One friend was going to be a missionary, definitely overseas, and not even like a nurse or anything, just like a straight-up missionary. Um, And then the other friend was going to get married and have kids. So fast forward to now, it's about 12 years later. I'm married and have a kid, and uh, the other two are working on PhDs in theology right now. So (laughs) somewhere in there, we just completely swapped lives. And in the midst of that, I kind of had to grieve a little bit as I was reading this email and thinking about it. And I know grieving sounds weird, right? I don't regret any of the decisions that I made, and I'm, you know, super happy with where my life is. 
but it definitely doesn't look how I expected it to. Um, one of the girls who's working on her PhD in theology got to spend last summer learning ancient Syriac, which I didn't even know that was a language. And like, I know that sounds super nerdy and not a lot of fun, but it's kind of awesome, right? <laughs> Move somewhere for a summer and learn a new language. And I won't get to do that. And that's fine, but there's also a part of me that grieves the loss of that opportunity. Every decision that we make means sacrificing another decision that we could have made. And I think sometimes we don't give ourselves space to grieve what could have been. So why am I talking about this now? Like, Merry Christmas, let's talk about loss, right, guys? <laughs> but I think it's an important time of year to acknowledge that because we look at family, we look at our circumstances, we look at the holiday, and sometimes it just highlights what we feel we don't have. So I think, yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about that today. I think this is a good moment for us to look and see um, what Anna represents and what she can teach us about God's love. She lost everything that would have given a Jewish woman meaning in that time. But in her, I believe we see God's redemptive story. So I think she's in the scripture for two primary reasons. The first reason I think she's there that we get to hear about her in Luke is I believe that she shows God cares for every single type of person, whether you feel represented or not. And secondly, I believe that she shows us how to respond to that grief, that loss we feel when our life doesn't turn out how we expect it to. So my first point, um, I believe that she shows us that God cares for every single type of person. Um, she's an older woman, a widow, and American culture, and I would argue a lot of cultures, are really dismissive of older women, right? Like you hit a certain age and all of a sudden you're invisible. But as Liz Curtis Higgs says in her book, The Women of Christmas, Anna is part of a long tradition in which God particularly favors older women as channels of divine grace. And I love that. All throughout scripture, you see these stories of women who have been dismissed. You see these stories of men who have been dismissed. And that's who God chooses to work through. Two weeks ago, we got to hear an amazing presentation on Zechariah from Tom. And it's this amazing story of two people who are elderly, and they think that's it. You know, they haven't gotten what they wanted out of life. But all of a sudden, God chooses them to raise John the Baptist, the man who's going to tell the news that Christ is coming. Um, the idea of representation is something that I've been reading a lot and thinking about a lot recently. And it's basically the idea that it's important for us to see ourselves, right? So whether that's in movies or in books or in magazines. We need to see stories like ours. We need to see people who look like us because it helps us feel valued and it helps us feel seen. Um, Bim Adewumni is a writer for BuzzFeed.com and she writes, she's a black woman living in America who grew up in the UK. And she writes a lot about beauty and representation and about how so often as a black woman she's expected to adjust or adapt. And she doesn't get advice directed at her, she gets it directed at white women and she has to kind of work with that. But she says this, and I love this moment. She says, for the December 2010 issue of Marie Claire magazine, they did a makeup feature. They laid out looks for party season. The sole model used to illustrate these looks was Leomi Anderson, a dark-skinned black woman. Dark skins should opt for on-trend pewter gray, while fairer skins can work a more silver or putty shade. And that was it. She goes on to say, I kept that issue for four years. It was one of the few times I had seen a mainstream magazine include women like me in their beauty pages, and I never forgot it. For a brief moment, I was the default, not required to adapt the look to fit. And I really love this moment that she gets, this moment of being seen, of being told that she's beautiful, being told that she deserves a makeup tutorial of her own, and that kind of consideration. 
And I think Christian history is full of stories like this. If you really look at it, there are all kinds of people that God chooses to work through. Old men, young men, old women, young women. Um, one of my favorites is this woman named Julian of Norwich. She lived in England in the 1300s, and she was what's called an anchoress, which means she literally built a shed on the side of a church and moved into it for the rest of her life. Just like lived there the whole time, and people would come to her for advice, and she, you know, obviously did a lot of praying and scripture reading. Um, but that was her whole world, just the church and the churchyard that she walked around. Yet she wrote this book called Revelations of Divine Love. It's one of the first books of theology written by a woman in English. And she wrote it in 1395, and we've been reading it ever since. And I love that, just this woman whose life seemed so small and so limited created this work that people have been inspired by for hundreds of years. So Anna and others like her, I think she really demonstrates that representation is so important and that God knows that representation is important. If you look at the whole Gospel of Luke, so often Luke will talk about male and female pairs. So he'll talk about Joseph and Mary or Simeon and Anna. And I think that really demonstrates his consideration for all different types of people. All people need to be represented. I think Martin Luther summed it up really well. I love this. Behold, five persons are here brought together the infant Christ, his mother Mary, Joseph, Simeon, and Anna. By this small number of people, every station in life is represented, husband and wife, young and old, virgin and widow, the married and the unmarried. Here Christ begins to gather around him people of every honorable station and will not be alone. I really love that word honorable in there. Every honorable station, doesn't matter what station it is, it's honorable, and God has called you there. So I think Anna demonstrates God's consideration for all types of people. But what do her actions teach us? What does she herself shows us? I think she teaches us to run to God in the face of grief and loss. So the verse says, she was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then she was a widow until she was 84. So as Reed mentioned last week, the typical age of marriage for a Jewish woman around then would have probably been like 13 years old. So if we say she's 13, married for seven years, that puts her at 20 when she becomes a widow. And then she's a widow for 64 years. It's a long time to be alone. And life as a widow back then would have been really tough. I mean, she obviously couldn't just go get a job to support herself. She would have had to probably move back in with her family, unless her husband left her a lot of money, which doesn't sound like he did. Um, and it sounds like in her instance, she basically moved into the temple. There would have been shelters on the temple grounds, and she would have been dependent on the charity of the visitors who came to see her. But I love that her faith prompted her to run to the temple. Where do you go when you're scared or when you've lost something? We all have spaces that we think of as safe, right? So when I was a kid, you know, eventually I got to the point where I was old enough for my parents to leave me home alone, and that was great. It would start out fine, be having fun. And then I would totally freak myself out. Like I would hear a weird noise or like watch the news. Yeah, and I'd become convinced that someone was going to break in, which was ridiculous because I lived in the safest neighborhood imaginable. Nobody was ever going to break into my house. But I was sure they were going to do it when I was there. And so I would always just go hide in the bathroom. And it's the perfect place to hide out. I mean, I would get the cordless phone, and there's running water, and a lock on the door. You can just hang out there as long as you need to. With the added benefit that when my parents came home, I could pretend I had just walked in there, and I hadn't been in there for the last two hours, or, or however long it had been. Um, 
and it was safe. It felt safe. It was a place for me to hunker down and be okay. In Anna's instance, she ran to the Lord. In the face of her grief and her loss when she had nothing left, she ran to the temple. Luke 2.37 says she never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. And I love the strength of the hope and faith that brought her there. So just before these verses in Luke, we meet a man named Simeon. And Luke 2.25 to 28 says this about him. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And then there's this beautiful moment where he sees Joseph and Mary with the baby Jesus and comes up to them and has this beautiful song where he says, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And it's wonderful and beautiful. But compare that to Anna. Simeon had a spoiler. Like, he had something firm to hang on to. God had explicitly said to him that he would see the Messiah. Anna had none of that. All of she had was God's, God's promise to the whole nation of Israel for hope and redemption. Um, one of my major personal failings that I will confess to you guys right now is that I love spoilers. I'm not sorry. Um, I will actually sometimes be in the middle of watching a television show, and if I'm worried someone's going to die or, like, a relationship's not going to work out, I'll get on Wikipedia and look up future episodes. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I'm a little bit sorry. But it just stresses me out to not know what's going to happen. So if I know what's going to happen, I can watch the rest of the thing and just be fine. Um, but I think Anna would have been one of those friends who I would ask her, like, can you just tell me what happens? And she'd be like, no, watch the show. Um, but, and I kind of love that about her. I love the strength of her hope, the strength of her patience. The fact that she has no spoilers, and yet she trusts God. She knows he's going to deliver, and so she's there in the temple day after day. And then there's this beautiful moment where she gets to encourage Mary. So one of the things Simeon also says to Mary is that a sword will pierce her heart. Like, Great, thanks a lot. Um, but one of the things I love about Mary's story, and I know we kind of talked about her last week, but... Throughout her story, God sprinkles in all of this encouragement, right? He doesn't just tell her, you're going to have my son, and then leave her on her own to just do it herself. All throughout her story, strangers keep approaching her to say, oh, there's the Messiah. This is who your son is. And I think that's just such a wonderful confirmation for Mary. And Anna has a chance to do that. She sees him, sees the Messiah, and comes up to Mary and proclaims that this son of hers is the Messiah. And the scripture calls Anna a prophetess, but being a prophet isn't necessarily complicated or requires some special revelation. So we often think of prophets as someone who God spoke to specifically for a specific reason, and it is often what it means, but not always. We're all called to be prophets. We're all called to speak the truth of God's word, and that's simply what she was doing. Her presence in the temple, the fact that she was there constantly worshiping and praying, allowed her to speak truth to people in a way that wasn't necessarily complicated or some kind of big special revelation. She just inhabited God's word and could speak the truth as a result. So one of the quotes that I've found most inspiring recently is um, a tweet from a Christian writer named Rachel Held Evans. And it's about parenthood specifically, but I think this is true of a lot of life. And she says this, 
A gift of parenthood is the way it shatters the idols of follow your bliss and live a thrilling story. Sometimes living your best life is just showing up and being faithful. And I think Anna really demonstrates that for us. Just the idea that, I mean, there's so much pressure for us, I think, to be happy, to constantly be living on some kind of purpose or to have like a big fancy goal in mind. But there's so much about life that requires you to just be present. Planning meals every week, you guys, is not following my bliss. I hate it. I hate it so much. But if I do it, if I'm faithful and I'm present and I do it every week, it makes the, lot, the rest of the week a lot easier and people get fed and <laughs> things just tend to go better. And I think Anna demonstrates that to us, just so much of, of following God and being faithful is being present with him. And when God calls us to him, he's calling us to rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. St. Augustine says, Thou hast created us for thyself, and our heart is not quiet until it rests in thee. And then, this is beautiful, Anna meets the Savior, but then her story is not over. She gets a whole new ministry at the age of 84. So if any of you are feeling a little bit down about where your life is going, don't worry, you've got plenty of time. So much time left. And the way the verse is written, the verb tense indicates that she kept talking about him. She had this beautiful moment of seeing the Savior and proclaiming who he is, and then for the rest of her life, she got to speak about him to the people who came to the temple. So that's Anna. Two big things. I think she reminds us that God sees you. Whether you feel like a widow or unseen, or you don't know if you're part of this redemption narrative, you are. You have a story. You're part of God's story. And when you're facing loss or grief or even just confusion about where your life is going, God sent his son so you could run headlong to him. Let's pray. Let's stand and pray together. Lord, we thank you that you have taught us what you would have us believe and do. Help us by your Holy Spirit, for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to keep your word in pure hearts, that by it we may be strengthened in faith, perfected in holiness, and comforted in life and death. Give us faith to go out with good courage, knowing that your hand is leading us and your love supporting us. Pour out your Holy Spirit and give us the wisdom which comes from heaven that your word may not be bound but have free course and be proclaimed with joy to those around us who so desperately need a glimpse of you. May your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.